Hi, this is Dr. Jonathan Vorce's daughter, Nikki, from Lakewood Family Church. This is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. Hope this inspires you, helps you, and uplifts you. We're here to win the lost, to train disciples, and to make Jesus famous. Hope you enjoy the message today. Today we're going to just kind of do something that's a little bit of an overview. But we're going to be digging in very deep into the tabernacle and uh, how that that relates to the tabernacle that we are today. Because when we look at the Old Testament and we look at at the tabernacle there, uh, we see a pattern of things to come. But we're going to begin today in Luke chapter 24 and we're going to uh, read a little bit about the road to Emmaus and uh, the the journey that they were taking there on the road to to Emmaus when Jesus... Uh, actually uh, appeared to them and began to talk with them. And the Bible said that he actually opened up the scripture in, uh, in verse number 27. And he began, beginning at Moses and all the prophecy, explained to them and all the scriptures things that were pertaining to himself or things that were concerning himself. And so in, in his encounter with the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, to Emmaus Jesus made it very clear that Jesus needed to suffer, Jesus needed to die, and Jesus needed to enter into His glory. But what was the revelation about Himself that He opened up to His uncle Cleopas and the other disciples? They were walking along there, and I'm just going to read it to you here. It says, as they were conversing and reasoning through all the events that had taken place, Jesus Himself drew near and walked with them, but their eyes were restrained so that they did not know Him. So Jesus was walking with them, but they did not know that that's who He was. And I'm going to be very careful here that I don't go down this rabbit trail, but how many times have we walked with Jesus and not known He was there? How many times have other people walked with Jesus and not known that it was Jesus? So their eyes were restrained and they did not know Him. And as He said to them, What kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and you appear to be very sad? Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to Him, Are you the only stranger here in Jerusalem and you haven't seen what's been going on over these last few days? Jesus said, What things? So see what He was doing is He was baiting them into a conversation. And they said to him, things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet. He was mighty indeed and word before God and all the people. And now the chief priest and the rulers delivered him to death. And he was condemned to death and they crucified him. They killed him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. So we were thinking that he was actually the one coming to redeem Israel. But they took him and they crucified him. Then they said, but besides all of this, today's the third day since these things happened and certain women from our company arrived at the tomb early this morning and they were astonished because when they went to look for his body, they couldn't find it and they came back telling us that they had had visions of angels who said that he was alive. I'm paraphrasing this. But there were others who went to the tomb. We know that to be Peter and John. There were others who went to the tomb and found it just like the women said. And they didn't see Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe, ought not Christ to have suffered these things to enter into His glory? 
And then the Bible said, beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Then we go down to verse number 30. And the Bible said, it came to pass, because they had finished their walk and they were sitting down and they were eating. The Bible said, it came to pass as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, he blessed it and he broke it and gave it to them. And the eyes that could not see anymore now saw. The Bible said their eyes were opened and they knew him. And he vanished from their sight. And then they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road, by the way, and while he opened the scriptures to us? Father, we just come to you right now in the name of Jesus and I just ask you to... Touch me to be able to effectively communicate the Word of God here today. I pray, Lord, that the Holy Spirit would teach through me things that are good for us and things that we need for our walk today. We thank you for it, Lord. I rely heavily upon you. In Jesus' name, amen. So on the road to Emmaus, the two disciples that Jesus encountered were very distraught. They were sad. They were concerned about things that were going on. The Bible said very clearly that Jesus opened the Scriptures to them. Now, I just want to say this before I really get going here. There's a worshiper in you. Look at your neighbor and say, there's a worshiper in me. Now point at them and say, there's a worshiper in you. There is, okay? There are times when I have worshipped the Lord. There are times when the revelation of who Jesus is began to be made known to us. That as I begin to worship God and praise God and magnify Him, that as they said, our hearts burned within us. As He opened the Scriptures to us. As He walked with us. There are times when you worship God, when you praise God, when revelation comes, when the illumination comes, that there is a burning sensation that comes into your spirit. And that is God, I believe that is God burning that truth inside of us. Now, I I think we need to go all the way back. We can just go all the way back. We won't go there in our Bibles, but we'll just talk about it. We can go all the way back to the book of Genesis, the first book of Moses. The first five books of the Bible are known as the Pentateuch. Those are the first five books, and they're the books of Moses. They were all written by Moses. You have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And so in Genesis chapter 2, we find where Moses was giving an account of mankind's life as God intended for it to be in the Garden of Eden. See, here's the thing. We were created... To have fellowship with God. That's why God created us. God created you to have fellowship with God. God created me to have fellowship with God. That was God's original intention from the very beginning. So we were created to worship. We were created for Him. So we look at Genesis chapter 2 and we see what God intended. How God wanted things. God wanted us to worship God wanted to come in the cool of the day. He wanted to walk through the garden. He wanted to talk. And and just let me talk with man and just let me say this. You know, a lot of people, you know, they think that the only place that Adam and Eve lived was the Garden of Eden. No, the Garden of Eden was their home. When they came home, they came home to the Garden of Eden. That's where they lived. But the earth was perfect as well. 
The earth was perfect. I mean, they could leave the Garden of Eden and they could run through a perfect earth. No thorns, no thistles, nothing like that. They could run through this perfect earth. But you know as well as I do that as time went on, Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden fruit. Don't have time to really get into what that really means. Just say this, sin entered the human race. The moment that sin entered the human race, not only did man experience a fall, but the world itself experienced a fall. So you had fallen man and you had a fallen world. You see that? And so it became necessary for restoration to take place because God's original intention was fellowship. God's original intention was communication. If God wanted to create angels, He could have just created more angels. God created us in His image, man in His image, after His likeness, and He gave Him dominion to rule and to reign and to care for and to take care of the things of the earth. That's what God wanted. That's what God wants for me, and that's what God wants for you. So God created us to be a worshiper. God created us to have communion with Him, and God created us to oversee in His stead the affairs of the earth, to rule and to reign and to replenish the earth. But sin messed that all up. So man had a fall, and the earth had a fall. And the Bible said that God spoke to them and said to Adam, and He said, From this day forward, by the sweat of your brow, you will eat all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles will come upon the face of the earth. And so this beautiful, unadulterated, untouched earth and world that God had created for His most treasured possession, which was mankind that was created in His image, was now tainted with sin. So God said, I'm going to create a form of restoration. It became necessary for restoration to enter the kingdom or enter the earth. So we see in Adam, God's desire has always been to be close to His people. Sin separated man from God, but God wouldn't have it. Not going to let sin mess this up. Therefore He established, everyone say the word pattern. He established a pattern of restoration in the tabernacle of Moses. Now we go down to Sinai, Mount Sinai, the Mount of God. God gave Moses a pattern of worship on Mount Sinai so he could dwell in the midst of his children. Now, I want to just kind of bring this out. I want to kind of point it out. I think it's important for us to understand that when the children of Israel were in Egypt, they'd been in Egypt for 400 years. They were God's chosen people. God led them out of Egypt. He took them through the wilderness He took them through all of the different miracles in the wilderness and they got to the point where they uh, were encamped at the base of the Mount of God, Mount Sinai. And so here they were at the base of the Mount of God, Mount Sinai, and God called Moses, his man, into the mountain of God. And he went up there and... You know, we see all of these pictures, these wonderful pictures of Moses standing there, you know, big white beard and all this and the Ten Commandments held up there and finger of God in the rock and Moses standing there with these big Ten Commandments. But I want to tell you something. A lot of people don't know this. The avid Bible scholar does, but most people have never thought of this. The Ten Commandments are not the only thing that Moses received in the Mount of God. 
There are 50 chapters in the books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. There are 50 chapters that are dedicated to the description of the tabernacle of Moses, which is the pattern of things to come and pattern of things in the heavens that are, that are there and they describe it in minute detail. Now I want to ask you this question. If God saw fit to insert 50 chapters into the Bible about one thing called the tabernacle of Moses, don't you think that was pretty important to God? So if the tabernacle of Moses was that important to God, then there must be things about the tabernacle of Moses that we need to know. Well, the tabernacle of Moses was about being a pattern of things in the heaven, at heavens, and it was also about being a pattern of things to come, but it was also a pattern of God's work of restoration, which would bring about redemption for the whole world. And so in the Mount of God, in Mount Sinai, God gives Moses not only the Ten Commandments, but He gives them the pattern of the work of restoration and a pattern of the work of redemption. And He tells him, go back down there and build this for me. So Moses goes down off the mountain and he hears the sound of partying in the camp. And here's Aaron the one that would be the high priest. Here is Aaron. And the Bible said that the children of Israel thought that Moses had died up there in the mountain. And they gathered together and they took all of the gold and they put it in a fire. And, and Moses said, what is this? And, and Aaron said, well, I put all this stuff in the fire and a golden calf came out. What, what a lie. I mean, my goodness, how gullible did he think Moses was? Well, his righteous indignation got all stirred up and, of course, he tossed the... the tablets to the ground and they were broken and he had to go back up into the mountain of God again and he had to get, he had to get uh, the Ten Commandments again from God. But here's the point that I, want, I wanted to make on that. Just because someone is serving as the leader of a nation and a high priest, it doesn't mean that they are exempt from accountability. We've been studying authority on Wednesday nights and we're seeing and understanding that to be in authority, we have to be under authority. In order to exercise authority, we have to also be subject to authority, God's Word, God's, God's plan for our life. Those are things we need to be subject to. We need to live under that authority. Well, Aaron, it didn't matter how high he was in the priestly chain, Aaron was under the authority of Moses. So we have Sinai. So Moses comes back down out of the mountain of God. He has the pattern of restoration and redemption uh, called the tabernacle of Moses this time as well. And uh, we see that pattern played out in the church. So it's a pattern of the tabernacle of Moses that where in that pattern of the tabernacle of Moses where a picture of complete restoration is given. Now, there are seven steps to restoration with God that are illustrated in the tabernacle of Moses. Now let me say that there are many other things that we're going to be studying, but today we're just taking a very, uh, very generic bird's eye view and look at 
the layout of the tabernacle. Now you need to understand that all around here, encamped all around the tabernacle, were the 12 tribes of Israel. All 12 tribes of Israel, they encamped around the tabernacle and the tabernacle or the place of God's presence was at the center of their life. Everything that we study about the tabernacle has typology in it. It has symbolic. It's a pattern of something. And one of those patterns is the fact that God has to be the center. The presence of God, the presence of Jesus needs to be the center of your life. It needs to be the center of my life. Now, of all of the different tribes, and all of the different tribes had different reasons, like Judah was, uh, was known for praise, so we're the tribe of praise. But there was one particular tribe there that was reserved for God that did not have any land. No, no land was deeded. It was called the tribe of Levi, and that tribe of Levi is known as the kingdom of priests. The kingdom of priests that would lead a holy nation unto the Lord. And that kingdom of priests would one day become a holy nation as time went on and as the work of redemption was played out. As people received the spirit of adoption whereby they cry, Abba, Father, and they become the seed of Abraham and heirs according to the promise. And then they move from being born again into sonship. When they do that, then they become part of the Levitical priesthood, the holy nation. The Levitical priesthood was not deeded any land or anything because all of the other tribes took care of them and their whole focus was upon worship. The tabernacle, the whole tabernacle, all of it, the whole tabernacle from the entering in to all the way through on both sides and all around, that whole tabernacle is a type of the church today. And not only is it, and, and when I say a type of the church, I'm not talking about a type of this building. I'm talking about you. You are the church. So that whole tabernacle, and as we go through this study over the next few weeks, we will begin to identify some places where that tabernacle has not been built around us, but it's been built in us by God. Because we are God's kingdom of priests. And we'll talk about that later. But I want to go through these seven steps of restoration. Now remember, restoration is necessary because we're dealing with a fallen world and we're dealing with fallen man. And we're also dealing with the fact that God has a desire to be in fellowship with humanity. So we look here at the tabernacle. This would be the entering in at the eastern side of the tabernacle right here. The east gate, the eastern side of the tabernacle. Inside from the east over here, the first place that you go to is called the altar of burnt offerings and this would be the first place and the first step of restoration with God. The altar of burnt offerings, also known in Scripture as the brazen altar, was where they would take the lambs and they would sacrifice the lambs and the blood and they would sacrifice the lambs there and the lambs as they were sacrificed there would go up as a savor unto the Lord for the covering of the sins of individuals and the covering of the sins of the nation. So that was a place, the brazen altar, a place of sacrifice, a place of death. 
Then you go from there to what they call, this. they're saying here, bronze laver, but this is actually the laver of washings, and it is bronze, and the brazen laver. And so that was a place where there was pure water and they would wash their hands because of the sacrifice and they would cleanse themselves with many types of cleansings and many types of washings until there was nothing of that sacrifice left on them. So they would cleanse themselves. And so not only do we see that as a place of cleansing, but we see that as a place today as the washing of the water of the Word of God. So, so the brazen altar here is, would depict today the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world, which would be Jesus. This right here would depict today, it was a pattern of the cleansing of the washing of the water of the Word of God. So all of this is in the outer court. Then you go past the out, out, through the outer court into the inner court, and on the right-hand side there, there is the table of showbread. And that table of shewbread on the right-hand side, it is a pattern of fellowship with God. What do you do when you sit down at a table with a friend and break bread? You have fellowship. You talk with them. You listen to them. But I think that we need to think about what's going on right across the, right across the room from that, and that's called the golden lampstand right there, or some would call it the menorah. But that would be the golden lampstand and there were seven different candles on that golden lampstand and they would constantly burn. And so it with, in the ambience of the shoebread was the lampstand depicting illumination or revelation. So in the same room across the way is the revelation, the symbol of revelation concerning the place of fellowship with God. So what, does, so, so, so what does that mean? The Bible said that we should pray for the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. There are times when we are having fellowship with God where things are revealed to us that we never saw before because God illuminates it to us. How many times have you read the Word of God and you've read the same Scripture a hundred times and this time when you read it, you saw something you'd never seen before? You know what that is? That is the spirit of illumination, that is revelation, that is wisdom from on high, and that's what the golden lampstand is a pattern of. So we have the place of sacrifice, we have the place of washing, we have, we have the uh, table of shewbread, we have the uh, golden lampstand, and then right here we have what we call the altar of incense. The altar of incense today is a pattern of worship. Incense does not descend, it ascends. Incense carries a fragrance. There's a fragrance to worship. So my worship to Him, as I worship Him, I do it understanding that what I'm offering to Him may not ever come back to me. It's a gift to Him. Worship is not seed. Hear me? Worship is not seed. You plant a seed, you expect a result. Worship is not seed. Worship is obedience. Worship is, we just worship because we love, because we praise. And then, and then so that would be a place of worship. And then beyond the place of worship, you, this line right here, this line right here is known as the veil. The veil. 
Alright? And so that's what separated from the inner court with the holiest of holies or the holy place with the holy of holy holies, the most holy place. On the other side of that veil is what we call the mercy seat, the Ark of the Covenant. That's the most holy place. That's where there were two cherubims on the Ark of the Covenant and you lift open the Ark of the Covenant and inside you would have Aaron's rod that budded and, 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 and tables of the law. And, and there's different things that were in the Ark of the Covenant. But it was the Ark of the Covenant where the high priest would go and the high priest, only the high priest, no one else but the high priest, no other priest, just the high priest. The high priest is the only one that could take the blood from here and sprinkle it on the mercy seat beyond the veil to obtain a, a covering for the children of Israel for an entire year. Now I'm going to I'm going to uh, <laughs> I'm going to throw a little challenge out to some of you theologians. How many of you have ever heard that they would tie a rope around the ankle of the high priest so that when he went into the holiest of holies, if he died, then they would drag him out because no one could go in. I want to challenge you. Show me the rope. It's not there. You show me the rope in Scripture. I've never found it. I've never found it. I, I had a guy challenge me nearly 20 years ago. He said, I'll give you $500 if you can find that rope. I searched and I searched because I needed the 500 bucks at the time. And I searched and I searched and I searched and I never came up with a rope. It's not there. It's not there. Bottom line is this whole process purifies us and makes it possible for us to stand in the presence of God. So let's talk about this. We have the entryway. We have the altar of burnt offerings. We have the brazen laver where the cleansing is. We have the table of shewbread. We have the golden lampstand. We have the altar of incense, the place of ascension. And then we have the Ark of the Covenant, which is known as God's earthly throne room, which is beyond the veil. Seven. One. Two, three, four, five. Right there, the veil. Six, seven. The number of perfection. The only way to get from here to here is to draw, to, let's draw an imaginary line, to go from here through here all the way to the altar of incense Come back here, do the table of shewbread, the golden lampstand. You'll notice it's the form of a cross. The only way to get from the entryway into the presence of God is through the cross. That's it. That's why Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, every detail, every detail of the tabernacle points to some aspect of the person and the work of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Every single one of them. Now, the believer who is in Christ, talk about, we'll talk about that at the end of, what, of the message today, but the believer that is in Christ is also 
the dwelling place of God. Old Testament, they were saints. I want to read this to you. Look at this. Exodus 19, 4 through 6. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. God's speaking to them as saints. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all of the earth is mine. And then look at verse number 6. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the children of Israel. So God was telling Moses, you need to go tell them that I will make them a kingdom of priests and I will make them a holy nation. Now, the reason that that was so hard for them to understand is because, because there was already a tribe of priests. The Levitical priesthood, there was a tribe of priests. And so it was very difficult for them to understand that God would actually make an entire kingdom of priests and that, the, the, and that there would also be a holy nation. And God said, this is what I want to speak, I want you to speak to the children of Israel. Now the word kingdom in the Hebrew comes from the word malaka, which means dominion or estate, to rule a realm as in a king's reign or to induct into royalty. What they were not understanding because they didn't have the capacity or the ability to understand was that what they were living through, what they thought was something that was pertinent and that was going to be there forever, what they were living through in the tabernacle as they brought a lamb every year to be slain and the divers' washings and all that, what they were living through was a mere pattern of things to come. They couldn't see beyond. They couldn't see beyond uh, beyond that 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 tabernacle. They couldn't see the, the to the to the time when Jesus would come and Jesus would die as a sacrificial lamb, lamb on Calvary. They couldn't see how that he would be the lamb that would be slain from the foundation of the world because they didn't have the messianic prophecies at the time. They did not understand that that's what would happen. And they sure didn't understand that the earthly tabernacle was a pattern of things that were already in the heavens. They didn't understand that. And so when they heard, I'll make you a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, it was hard for them to grasp because they were living in a pattern. You understand? So they were the Old Testament saints receiving prophecy seeing things established that one day would be interpreted as restoration and redemption. The New Testament sons in 1 Peter 2.9 is where we see God's eternal purpose, the New Testament sons. You notice we have Old Testament saints, we have New Testament sons. 1 Peter 2.9, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Wait a minute. Didn't we hear that just a moment ago? We did, didn't we? It was Exodus 19 and verse number 6. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Right there it is. So we've got Peter writing to the New Testament church and what Peter is telling them in the New Testament church is you are the living embodiment of fulfilled prophecy. You are the kingdom of priests. You are the holy nation. God chose this generation, the generation of grace, the generation of time when Jesus actually ascended into heaven and is coming back again. God chose that period of time right there to establish 
a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Listen, we are living in the most special time of history. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God chose us. God didn't choose us to be something other. God made us a worshiper. There's a worshiper in you. You're a, you're a chosen generation. The Bible says, the next phrase says, a royal priesthood. We saw that in Exodus. A holy nation. And then the Bible said, a peculiar people. Why do people not understand us when we want to put on our praise? Why do people not understand us when we, when we want to worship? Why do people not understand when they come to a spirit-filled church why people want to raise their hands to the Lord and let a shout of praise come out of their mouth or clap their hands or dance before the Lord? Why don't they understand that? You know why? Because they don't understand that we're peculiar. We're chosen. We're a kingdom of priests. We're a holy nation unto God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We're not going to act like the world. We're not going to talk like the world. We're not going to think like the world. We're not going to reap the benefits of the We are a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, a peculiar people that we would show forth the praises. There's the worshiper in you. That you would show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Where did he call me out of darkness from? I'll tell you where he called me out of darkness from. He called me out of darkness from the law. Look here, I've got the illumination now of the Spirit of God. Not only does that golden lampstand represent revelation and illumination, but there's fire there. It's a candle. There's seven candles. There's fire there. You get that? Hallelujah. So, I get excited. I can't help it. Revelation. We just keep going on here. I need to keep going on here. So, we see this pattern in the tabernacle. So, we need to ask this question here. How do we faithfully, since we're a kingdom of priests, since we're a holy nation, since we're chosen by God as a chosen generation, royal priests, holy nation, peculiar people, and it's okay to be peculiar, so... You know, you're, you're going to appear peculiar to those who don't understand radical worship and radical praise. You're going to appear, why do they dance around? Why do they sing that same song over and over and over and over and over and over? I'm just performing my priestly duty. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm in the presence of the King of Kings. I'm in the presence of the Lord of Lords. I'm in the presence of God Almighty. Shekinah glory. Mm. <laughs> Revelation chapter 1 verses 4 through 6 talks about how that we are also, we have that royal priesthood that He's developed a kingdom for us and that we are a worshiper. The book of Hebrews, the writer reiterates the fact that the tabernacle and its activities were patterns or copies, Hebrews 9.23, of things that are in heaven. In the Old Testament, the role of the priest served as a type for the modern day worshiper to follow. I want to say that again because I want you to get it inside of you. In the Old Testament tabernacle, the role of the priest served as a type for the modern day worshiper to follow. Now, we talk about... Let me, let me kind of just skip over this part right here. I want to, and I want to just uh, uh, talk about, uh, about something here. The Bible talks about being in Christ and Christ being in you. Remember that? Christ in you, 
the hope of glory, and you are in Christ. So uh, how, how does that happen, being in Christ and Christ being in you? How, how does that happen? Well, you know, um, when you're in the tabernacle, the tabernacle gets in you. When, when you begin to function as a worshiper, when you begin to function as a priest, then the priesthood gets in you. Man is triune, just like God is. Man is triune, body, soul, spirit. I need, to, I need to wind this down. I understand. But the body is representative of the tabernacle. Remember in the scripture where the Bible said that God does not dwell anymore in temples that are made with hands, but God dwells in the hearts of men. So this body becomes the tabernacle of His presence. The tabernacle of God. The soul, mind, body, spirit, the soul, mind, will, emotions, the soul surrenders itself in the holy place. Where the word's at, the holy place. Where the word's at, where revelation is, and where pure worship is ascending to God. Your soul, your mind, your will and your emotions are all surrendered in the holy place. But your spirit, that's a third part of who you are, is reserved for the Shekinah. The Shekinah glory of God. Your spirit is reserved for not just the manifestation of the presence of God because the mercy seat was God's earthly throne room. Your spirit was reserved as the resting place of His presence. What did the Bible say? They set, He sets up His portals where they praise Him. Uh-huh. Woo! I got the doctor theological geek coming out in me right now and I'm just about to have a personal rapture that I, I'm not going to be able to apologize for here. I'm, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I don't want any rocks crying out in my place. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. No. So I'm going to offer to him this tabernacle as a place of praise and worship as a place of His presence. I'm going to surrender my soul, my mind, and my will, and my emotions to God. I'm going to surrender those things to God because I know beyond that is the veil that was already torn apart from top to bottom. And now, instead of just a high priest going in one time a year, now the whole kingdom of priests can go in and the result is a holy nation. A holy nation. How can the blessing come upon your children for seven generations? It's because you have the right to establish a holy nation in your genealogy. Amen. Hallelujah. 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 Woo! Now a little, little Pentecost there. Yeah. Hallelujah.
My kids are going to be blessed whether they want to be or not. My grandchildren are blessed whether they want to be or not. And my great-grandchildren and my great-great-grandchildren and my great-great-great-grandchildren, seven generations of blessing. Establishing a generation, a holy nation, genealogically. Why? Because the worshiper that's in me came out. There's a worshiper in you. Let it out. There's a worshiper to you. Let it out. Let it out. Thank you for joining us. Special thanks to those who helped to give to keep the gospel moving forward. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. You can click the link in the description or visit jvorce.org for more information. Please share, like, subscribe if you enjoyed our podcast. Take a screenshot and tag us at Lakewood Family Church. Thanks again for listening. God bless you.